Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Stranger Things with Mike, Jack, and Jay. My name is Jay. My name is Mike. And I'm I'm sorry, Bob. I I'm sorry I ever doubted you that you were a you know a spy. And I also I'm sorry you weren't athletic enough to run the extra 15 feet. I'm also so, I'm also sorry that Hopper seemed to hesitate when he was trying to save you. I'm sorry, Bob. That's all I want to say. Okay, can I, can I can I can I just say it's like the most insincere apology i've ever heard and there's been some insincere apologies uh, lately in the world and that one might take the cake <laughs> I, for in, I insincere said, I, I i said i'm sorry I, I apologize mike what do you think there was a lot of sarcasm in those sorries i felt i mean I, i'm angry about these two episodes in particular for a variety of reasons but jack is just sort of piling the crap on that we're gonna have to talk <laughs> about over the course of the next hour and a half i'm just grateful that Jay reorganized our names to apparently put me first in the announcement of this podcast this week. <laughs> it makes up for it just a tiny bit, but my heart is still crushed overall. But am I am I right though? Superhero Bob should have been a little quicker. He sees Joyce and goes, "Oh, Joyce." Well, I think he it, it was in slow mo, so I think it makes it slower than it actually was. Um, Rudy was more athletic than Bob. Uh, and also, to be fair, what were they doing in the lobby instead of being outside the building? Well, I they're think waiting, they're waiting for Bob. Waiting for, well, no, he Hopper came back. No, in. He, he adamantly said to everybody, go on without me. Do not wait for me. So they didn't need to wait for him. They could have stood outside when a helpful ride pulls up. But then Bob's <laughs> like, oh, OK, this seems like it's the safe zone. It's home base. Everyone's cool. And then, you know, the demodogs break the rules and take him down, which, as he mentioned as well, this is not all completely his fault. As a shining beacon of Hawkins, Indiana, Jim Hopper got a little trigger shy when he yeah. needed to. He did yeah. seem to hesitate. He goes. Well, he's got to he's got to get the right shot because I mean the, the dogs are on top of Bob, so if he misses, he could kill Bob. Well, Bob was uh, dead. delaying the inevitable. <laughs> I I just think he was thinking uh, I could save Bob or and this and this might be too graphic to talk about. But should have should Hopper at that point maybe Mercy killed Bob instead of letting him like slowly be eaten by the demo dogs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why he thought shooting at them would do well as well, considering that, like, I don't think he was at the school when Hawkins tried in futility to open fire on the Demogorgon and it obviously did not work. So maybe just sort of like a last ditch effort. But I'm surprised he went for that instead of just saying, like, hey, there's no way to kill these things. Let's GTFO. Yeah, Um, I, I, I will argue, though, that maybe if Steve was there with his spiked bat, he might have had some better results. Bob would still be Bob would still be alive. Maybe not not to Monday morning quarterback it, 
but uh, yeah, I think I think I, I, I don't I don't I don't think Hopper's heart was in saving Bob. Well, I I don't want to say this is going to be as bad as maybe Titanic at the end, where you know there was clearly enough room for Jack yeah. on that uh, piece of whatever that was wood. It was a um, door. Yeah, but uh, so I don't think it's as bad as that. But there's definitely some if you Monday morning quarterback. There's a lot of ways where Bob could have lived. But as as it turned out for Bob's story arc here, I guess he wasn't meant to live. Um, uh, he was a sacrifice. The uh, the Hawkins demanded. Uh, yeah, and I, <laughs> I again, I I apologize from the yeah. Jack, you should feel heart. bad because this whole season, this whole season, you've been saying he's a spy. He's gonna turn on them, and he was the hero. He saved all of their lives. Was he the can hero? We- can we, can, we go to the, let, let, can we go to the scoreboard, though, the big spy scoreboard? Let's look back. <laughs> Let's see how many spies have been proven correct to be fraudulent, a la Jack's prediction. What, what is this, a big goose egg up on well, there? Well, Zero? We don't know because Bob was killed. <laughs> we don't know. We'll he ne- we'll saved never know. them. We'll never know. Did he save them? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you can't. I, you can't. You can't wiggle your way out of this. When you, hey, wait, hold on. You started this episode saying sorry to Bob that you accused him, and now you're just going back to I, accusing him again? I, I'm going to say Dr. Paul Reiser was the, uh, the And even Paul hero. Reiser, he, he's being a stand guy. He stayed behind to make sure he could uh, see them out clearly. Yeah, go, go so out. So for all we know, Dr. Paul Reiser's dead. I don't think Dr. Paul Reiser's dead. I don't know. There was a well, yeah. I know since they they danced for a second in these two episodes with the idea of Brenner being alive. I would not be surprised if in season three we have another vision quest of oh, Doctor Owen might be alive as well. <laughs> I like the vision quest uh, reference there. Uh, like well, uh, <laughs> we we have a lot to talk about. We have uh, the most uh, controversial, it probably more correct, divisive uh, episode. Uh, in in all of Stranger Things and it's uh, two young seasons in Chapter 7, The Lost Sister. Um, and then we get right back into the actual one with Chapter 8, The Mind Flayer. So uh, we'll be talking about those today. We also have some listener feedback about these two episodes. But before we get into any of that, we want to thank the people that make this show possible, our patrons. With over 150 patrons contribute to all of our podcasts each month, and uh, without their contributions, these podcasts would not be possible. So if you'd like to become a patron today, head over to jnjack.com and click on the Become a Patron link. All right, gentlemen, are you ready to recap these episodes? Let's mm-hmm. do it. All right, start with Chapter 7, The Lost Sister. In Chicago, Eleven locates Callie, who is the girl from Terry's memories. Callie can create illusions, and she leads a gang of outcasts who exact revenge on those who have hurt them. She teaches Eleven to channel her anger towards stronger powers. Eleven uses her powers to find Ray, the lab technician who performed shock therapy on Terry, and the gang breaks into his apartment. Ray claims Brenner is still alive, and he offers to lead Callie and Eleven to Brenner. They disbelieve him, and Callie tries to coax Eleven into killing Ray. When Eleven learns he has two daughters, she stops and prevents Callie from from killing him. Back at their hideout, Callie conjures a disturbing vision of Brenner and demands that Eleven avenge her mother. Eleven visualizes Mark, uh, Mike and Hopper and realizes that they're in trouble. While Callie and her gang escape the police, Eleven returns to Hawkins. Um, so, I mean, let's just uh, talk about this episode before we get to the top moments. I mean, it's mm-hmm. any, th- any bottle episode or any divergent storyline from where the cliffhanger left us in chapter six it's it's a really hard place to put this episode don't you think yeah i mean i talked about this a little bit actually offline after we did the podcast last week because going into this 
I knew that there was going to be a standalone 11 episode this season that was quite polarizing, more so in the negative response than the positive. <laughs> I tried to not uh, give myself that much more information just to, again, give my surprise reactions for this podcast. But it's very comparable to going back to that Halcyon example of Lost, you know, when you have this extreme submarine attempted escape where Sun and Jin have this tearful death together and Saeed blows himself up as well and everyone has a big old cry on the beach. Oh my God, what's going to happen next? How is this all going to come together? Next episode, okay, Alice and Janney and two kids wearing (laughs) robes. What the hell is this? It was not as disparate as that. This was still connected to the main narrative and bringing a character over from that, but I couldn't help think of it, especially as you mentioned, as sort of a momentum loser. What I will say overall is that I'm okay with this episode. There are still things that I like and don't like about it just as a standalone episode, but I was also braced for it knowing that, okay, there's a good chance that they're going to once again go to this really cliffhanger climactic moment and then completely take away from it for a 45-minute episode. And I can understand how people at the time, not even knowing about that beforehand, were pissed off to experience this episode. Yeah. But having been removed from that and knowing a little bit about what was coming, again, not specificities, but knowing what was coming in general, that helped prepare me a little bit more personally. Well, and I um, I knew, because uh, in, even in the, uh, like, Earlier, maybe even over like Comic Con ish time, they're talking about how there's because they're, they're saying like Eleven isn't going to be this you know as interactive this season as she was in previous seasons, but she will get her own episode. Uh, so I I kind of already had in mind she was going to get her own episode, and in concept, like that's a cool idea, exploring her story more. Awesome. Um, and when the what was it last week we watched episode six, I was like, oh man. Oh, that's I, I I can see people getting ticked off about this, um, and it's it's just so funny how like out of context of the story and where it was leading up to at that point, I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. I'd I'd like to explore her a little bit more and have her own time. That's cool, but uh, I, in the context of the season, I don't know if that's maybe the best way to do it. I get that she needed to go through this journey to a certain extent, but I think it still could have been done as maybe a a side storyline that's going along in the same pace as the episodes. I, I don't mm. know if making it one whole episode of her story was the right call. I, I don't know. Jack, yeah. what, what are, what are your thoughts? I think that, I think it helped because it's on Netflix. Yeah. And I, I didn't have to wait a week to find out mm. like, you know, I, I know a lot of people like across the sea and all the other things where you're like, oh, wait, what? Or like, you know, they take like a two or three week break or whatever it is. This was like, okay, this was 58. This is 45 minutes or whatever it is. I could just watch the next one and find out what happened. I, I don't think it's that. To me, it wasn't that big a deal because I could just watch the next one. I liked the episode. I enjoyed it. it was like, actually, it was like watching an 80s movie. The mm-hmm. music, the, the graphics were a little, the special effects were a little better than an 80s movie. But <laughs> to me, I don't think it was that big a deal because I could watch the next one right away, which I did. Ooh, I watched yeah, the next I, one right I, away. Well, a couple things about that. First, it, uh, sort of in line with what you were saying, Jack, about this feeling like an 80s movie, this almost felt like a backdoor pilot to like an, <laughs> an 11 specific spinoff exactly. of yeah. Stranger Things, like what The Office did with the farm for that one episode. Yeah. Because again, oh, yeah. like it, it was 11 in a completely new environment with no other characters that we know. And like you, Jay, afterwards, I was trying to think about like where would be a good place to put this episode what I would propose would be extremely radical. It's a little bit of backseat, you know, show writing, but I'd like to propose it to get your guys' thoughts. So I would say 
it's tough to put it prior to this. Maybe you could switch it with episode six, but I feel like it's so, again, separate from everything that you, it, it's, it's going to be awkward no matter where you put it. What about this? What if we just get rid of episode seven for right now? We go from episode six right to what is now episode eight with the Demodogs crawling their way up the chasm and the escape and Bob's death and everything. And then just when all hope seems lost and everything's descending upon the buyer's house, we see this door lock change. And here comes Eleven, who is now decked out in, you know, crazy 80s punk gear. And everyone's wondering what the hell happened. How did Eleven get this way? Where did she go? Then we carry out stuff for episode nine. Let this be a lingering mystery. Season three premiere is where we put this episode, where we say, okay, here's what happened to Eleven while she was away and everything else, while everyone else was dealing with all the chaos in Hawkins. And maybe then you tie in even more stuff with if Callie's going to be a bigger part of this narrative or if there's going to be something alluding to the big bad of season three, you can put hints in there as well. I could see this in another world, part of like a season premiere to speak upon some mysteries. And part of me really does like this idea of like, we don't hear from Eleven for a long time. Then we see her come in completely changed. We have no idea why that happened until a future episode. I, you know, it's 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 funny, Magic, because I was going to uh, posit a similar idea. And it, it's kind of like how, um, I think it's the machete edit of Star Wars, or machete order, I'm sorry. Uh, where you know the, the fan communities are like, okay, what's actually the best order to view Star Wars? Is it you know four episode four or five? The machete order I think is episode four five. Go back to two three, um, just yeah. completely skip one and then finish with six. Mm-hmm. Um, now it, and and it's a similar kind of idea here with this episode. So I, I like the idea of season uh, or three that you had, Mike. My thoughts was just flip it, just put. Uh, episode 8 as 7 and then go into uh, 11's episode as episode 8. Same idea. She comes in at the end. She saves the day but she looks completely different and like, what? And then it's like, okay, I want to learn that story now. And then you don't mm. break that cliffhanger um, that that you had in episode 6. So you still get to keep the momentum of all that all, that all the way. And then you... Because that ending scene in episode 8 was a really, I think, a good... A pause to that story because um, when I when I watched it after episode seven, I was like, okay, I'm okay pausing here. I didn't I didn't have that same. Uh, it was really tough the week before uh, with episodes. I was like, oh my god, I want to see what's next, but I, I didn't feel that same sense. So I felt like that might have been a good spot to one. You're setting stage. Well, how, why why does she look this way? What happened? And now I want to know what happened, and then I'm more primed to appreciate. Uh, the episode uh, where Eleven's kind of almost kind of the Rocky montage of you know working on her powers and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I I I think that'd be interesting. I'm sort of hesitant to subscribe to that just because we have no idea what Episode Nine looks like, and if True. it does tie in really well into Episode Eight, that would be another example of like breaking the True. flow You're between right. those episodes. Right. But I th- I think if it does. If it does fit, I think that would be a great way as well. My theory has you waiting an entire year until the premiere of next season. But if you can, you can, you know, satisfy that portion of the audience that wants to know what happened while at the same time not breaking the stride of season two, that would be a great solution. Yeah. And then would we can ha- go ahead, Jack. I'm sorry. Would Mike if doing it your way, would they have to film it now because they're young kids and they're changing so fast? Would they have to film it now? So if you wait six or seven months, you could look completely different. 
than she looks now. So, I mean, I, I just, you know, how we're, we're, we're being, you know, not nitpicky, but that's how we are in television now. If she looks completely different, we're like going, well, how is that going to fit? We might as well not have just had it at all. Or I don't know. I mean, she also changed her look quite literally, so you could almost, like, disguise it through there. Plus, like, I don't want to get into the uh, biology of it all, but, you know— Millie Bobby Brown is definitely probably went through puberty earlier than the other boys did. I feel like if it was like a Mike standalone episode, it would be much more noticeable if you filmed it next year. So I feel like of all the characters, you could probably get away with filming 11 later and saying that this still took place in the same time frame without having to do that time jump like they did between seasons one and two. What um, about Jay? What about Jay's approach? If you did seven, the seven episode still had some of, but you know, then it takes away from eight though. Yeah, so that's what I, I think I and I even think you can do this now. I mean, not now because we've already seen it in this order, but for future viewers, in the same way we talk about the machete order of Star Wars, you all you have to do is just say, okay, don't play seven, watch eight, and then go back and watch seven, and then finish with nine. Um, now you can see you can see why someone suggested we just do eight, we watch seven, and then do eight and nine together, or you know how someone I think someone suggested it last week. Yeah, I mean, but the thing about that, though, is that, uh, you know, we don't want to throw off the our own momentum of the podcast. And also, I feel like we're doing a lot of general talk about the episode. I feel like when we get to these moments, surprisingly, and again, maybe it's just because it's so removed from the action. I don't think there's too much to talk about no, in terms isn't. of, like, actual stuff that happened in the episode. It more so served to, like, flesh out Callie as a possible character, talk a little bit more about Eleven harnessing her own powers and possibly coming into her own in terms of having her own sort of moral code as a quote-unquote superhero but definitely less action-packed than the one that preceded it and yeah. came after it yeah i mean i, she, you know, I usually de- go ahead, and we know she doesn't like max because channel find something that makes you angry max ah! um but uh no i i yeah like when i usually write the top moments i was i was struggling after three for this episode and you know other times there's like another one another one okay i gotta pare this down um so yeah so let's uh let's jump into these top moments um, and, uh, number one is we found out more about eight, AKA Callie. Um, apparently at one point they're only a few years apart and now she's like 20 years older than, uh, 11. I don't know. I mean, she has, she had some pretty heavy lidded makeup on. Yes. Maybe it just makes her look that much older. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fine with it. I know Colleen was, uh, you know, being, being a little nitpicky with it, but well, I, why, I thought. Here's my problem. Why, why were the others misfits? I think it was sort of like it's interesting the way that they went with it because initially I think when we saw Kelly and the people, I thought that like she was a lackey in this gang of criminals. But from what it looks like, it looks like Kelly is almost a cult leader. Yeah, and that she's gathered together these people who, for one reason or another, are considered misfits. Uh, Axel, I don't know. He looks like he has a can opener for a head and uh he's he's a little bit of a i don't know he's a little bit of a short fuse you have that one girl the the burnout that apparently came from the loony bin dotty um you have mick not sure mick seems like the most logical out of all of them to be quite honest and then who knows what happens with mr funshine the big teddy bear but for some <laughs> reason she was able to like gather these cohorts together and because she's able to manipulate things with her mind they'll have like fallen under her spell and what i will say about this episode that i actually did enjoy i think we can talk definitely about our thoughts on callie as a character overall but i thought it was interesting to sort of see firsthand how when you have 11 trying to cope with the uh the moral 
ramifications of using these powers. We st- we see one good example of someone using these powers for, even though she says they're for good purposes, they really aren't. No, it's it's like she has her own jaded view of of uh, excusing what she is doing, and I think that was like highlighted in um, the scene where they're robbing the convenience stores, like. This your money's insured. Uh, we're just stealing from the corporate hacks. Blah 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 blah. Um, we're stealing from the man, the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, no, it's it's very Mr. Robot, right? It's like, yeah. oh, like oh, we we this is fine. We're the Robin Hoods, you know. We, we don't we can commit violence and attack people because we're helping the little man. <laughs> when like you're really not. Uh, but I also thought there was some really fun symbolism with the Cali character as well. Just since since we were embellishing this idea of Cali being able to sort of warp reality and create things that they can see but are not really there, which is almost the opposite of everything we've been dealing with in the Upside Down, and especially the Thessal Hydra, where there are things that are here and around us, but only some people can see them or no people can see them. It's almost the complete opposite with Callie. Yep. Yeah. Um, so here's here's the thing with Callie. Do we, do we want to see more of her? Like, it, it seems like they're expanding the universe, and she would seem to be a big part of it maybe um do we do we want to see more of her or do, or do we think she needs more time to really flesh out her character i think she's done i mean i think the way they left mm. it i i don't know i think just think she's unless she comes back to look for 11 i guess i know I, I, I don't see that, 11 going out looking for her anymore that is an open end if i ever saw yeah. one the fact that callie did not die in this episode and that they definitely had a connection as sort of like foster sisters. I can absolutely see Callie wend her way back into Hawkins to find Eleven for maybe some bigger mission, or maybe she becomes a good guy as well. Is it warranted? Not necessarily. I don't hate the actress, even though it is weird. I don't know what background she came from, but like her accent is a little like indeterminate. You know, I don't know if she was really raised in Hawkins lab. I don't necessarily know if, uh, if, where that accent might have come from mm-hmm. but i i feel like we we got a good use out of her especially her as sort of a mentor to 11 which we had never really yeah. seen before specific to her powers especially since brenner turned out to be such an sob but i don't know i, I don't know if we necessarily need to get into like the x-men of it all with <laughs> 11 and 8 and all these but, kids but, with powers but the reason i don't see because i think the episode was telling us 11 didn't really go to the dark side whereas 8 is already in the dark so she's already there She's already out. She she knows she wants revenge. She doesn't care. She's going to kill whoever it takes. Like I said, they're robbing the convenience store. It doesn't matter. They just she just wants what she wants. Whereas eleven, where she was going to, she had him, and she saw the, the the picture with the you know the two daughters there. He went, she couldn't do it. So maybe that's what they were trying to show us with this episode that you know she didn't go completely to the dark, even though she has killed people, but she killed she mainly for self defense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or she was being mistreated, and she. It wasn't yeah, like she, it wasn't premeditated. It was just, you know. I, I just feel like you can't put another character out there with those type of psionic powers and never mention them again. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think there's there's more to that story. There's more there. Um, I think it's just uh, unfortunately it's really tough to try and get that all across in one episode. Um, whereas you know we had a whole season of slowly peeling back Eleven's storyline. Uh, but again, I'll also give Amelia Bobby Brown credit. Like you know, as as an actress, had me you know you know, episode one 
uh, whereas actually played Callie, not so much. But again, I don't know if that's a fault of hers and more of just. Um, and I get it's in Chicago; it's a big city, but it definitely felt different too. Like the the vibe, the colors. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how did you guys grain. feel about this? About going into an urban setting, as Jack said, it almost felt like a completely different show almost like a movie in that regard complete with more scored parts but do you feel like it still was like part of stranger things that that makes sense even though we're not in this small town we're in this much larger urban area you know what i think you made a really like in terms of feel for me a really good call out to the office where they had that one episode where dwight went out to the farm because they're going to try and like spin off a dwight show it didn't really work that's what it felt like to me it just felt very much a completely different world with like one character i know uh but all these new people um and it's not it's, it's not bad like I, again I, I i liked it from in terms of uh, levin's development as a character um but it's just it's it's really hard when stranger things is a very specific look and feel um and it's almost it's almost tactile in terms of the feel because they've done such a good job like with the opening credits and how they try to make it very analog they actually uh i think they film in digital but then like re put it on uh, purpose it to actual film um, so it has that kind of grain to it that vintage stuff has. And um, it just it didn't have that same feel that the rest of the show had. And I, maybe that's just me being whatever, but I just, that, it just didn't have that same uh, – it didn't feel like it was in the same universe. Mm. The, prob- the problem I had with – it's not so much Callie the actress. It was her supporting cast around her. Yeah, I mean, those I, were. I, 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 I just didn't believe – we got the typical guy with, like you said, in can opener. He's got the spike hair, and he's – and the people, I'm bad. I'm this. I, I just they didn't seem like they were that bad. It just seemed like people acting like they were bad. Yeah, there was oh, yeah. all the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it just like I said, it, to me, it was like watching an '80s movie or an '80s TV show where you got the people that are they're bad, they're bad, but they you know literally they're, they're not they're not bad as you know as we as we've seen in this show. I just I that's what I had trouble the whole time was these people. Yeah, I said. I said they don't. Why are they misfits? What? Are, I I just don't get it. I it just didn't. It makes sense. I'd rather just seen Callie, maybe come with, you know, eleven. But I guess they, you know, have something else in plan. You know, something down the line. But I had that's the biggest problem I had with this episode. I didn't like the supporting cast. Not that they're bad actors and actresses. It just they're just their whole. I wasn't believing it. They were barely one dimensional. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It, it just—it was like okay, I could do without these people. And, <laughs> and what, let's just but, move on. what I will say though, I, this actually just came to mind with this idea. Again, I do think that Callie's coming back now for one particular reason. Next episode, we get introduced to this idea of the Mind Flayer, this creature that is able to like basically will people to join its hive mind by using mental powers. Sounds a little familiar, <laughs> doesn't true. it? true. It does. It does. Maybe she comes back and she makes people believe Bob is still there. <laughs> oh, if only she could do that with the rest of us. Kylie, <laughs> I will submit to you. I'll join your, your gang if that's possible, so I don't have to relive that. Um, and honestly, the last big thing from this episode, because we kind of talked about the other top moments I had in here, but is Dr. Brenner still alive? Yes, <sighs> we had the projection that uh, Callie did, but Ray said... He's still in touch with Dr. Brenner, and Dr. Brenner is still alive. Mike, you've made your thoughts clear on your perception of the character is very one-dimensional. You don't really need him back. Um, but to the to the greater group here, uh, is Dr. Brenner still alive, and do we care? I hope what? not, and no. Those <laughs> why, are my res- respective why would, answers. Why would Ray know where Dr. Brenner is? 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, we don't know. We saw Ray was like sitting next to him, literally his right hand man during the EST. But we don't know anything else about Ray. It would be weird to sort of drop this hint of how, ooh, he might not be dead. And if so, like, how how did that happen? Why <laughs> did that happen? Why do we? I keep going back to this question of why do you feel like you need to bring him back? You have such more interesting antagonists, even through literal supernatural means that you don't necessarily need, ooh, here's big bad government guy. He's going to help <laughs> screw things up too. The one thing I will say about this Brenner stuff that was interesting to me was not even him. It was this theme of that Callie was instructing L with her powers is, you know, this idea of like when you have a wound, letting it healing it rather than just sort of letting it fester and it actually just brings to mind a lot of the plights that we've seen our characters undergo in the transition between seasons one and two, particularly Will and Nancy. I feel like in both of those cases, uh, in di- very different circumstances, but they're both characters who like have had underlying problems, these wounds that are festering. But rather than telling someone and getting them out in the open and treating them, uh, they're instead just sort of letting them become gangrenous to the point of where it's become a much larger problem than it could have been only a few weeks ago. Yeah. Plus, yeah. we saw what happened to Bob. I mean, it was pretty graphic. I mean, they, they didn't they didn't pan away from what happened to Bob. <laughs> and we have to we have to assume the same thing happened to Brenner. But why not just show us that? They they, they spent like 20 minutes showing us Bob getting eaten. Yeah, um, Bob's a gr- Bob, gratuitous amount of time showing poor Bob getting eaten. Well, but maybe that's um, what they were showing. Well, you know, one episode says Brenner's still alive, but we all assume what happened to Brenner, and we see what happened to Bob. <laughs> I don't know. A spoiler alert for Game of Thrones uh, in three, two, one. This is the same fan base that's like, oh, Stannis Baratheon, he's got to be alive because we saw Brienne swipe the sword, but he didn't get killed. This is a show that shows bloody deaths. He's obviously still alive, and that is demonstratively not true. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, any other thoughts about this episode before we move on to Mind Flayer? No, I will thing I can say is that Ray Ray used the, the Brenner thing to save his life. I think he used his daughters to save his life accidentally. Good thing he stumbled upon stumbled well, I, into I, that picture frame. I'm saying accidentally, <laughs> but, it, it, but you know what? I'm, if I say no, no, you know, it's like every show, especially an '80s show. I I I, I, I can tell you where he's at. I, he's, I'm still in contact with him. I mean, yeah. he's trying no, everything yeah, he can. Right. He's desperation. So wouldn't why wouldn't you say that? Yeah, that's true. That, he, that's who you really want, but. You know, who knows? Brenner will probably show up in the next episode saying, ah, I'm still alive. I'm not Bob. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> um, all right. Chapter eight, the mind flayer. The Demodogs overwhelm the lab. Mike convinces Joyce this is to sedate Will so that the shadow monster cannot track them. Mike, Will, Joyce, Hopper, Bob, and Owen shelter in the lab security room. Dustin, Steve, Lucas, and Max track the Demodogs to the lab where they regroup with Nancy and Jonathan. When the power goes out, Bob resets the circuit breaker so they can escape. Owen stays behind and uses the security cameras to guide the others out. Mike, Will, Joyce, and Hopper escape, but Bob is killed by the Demodogs. The group retreat to the buyer's house where Dustin suggests that the shadow monster is a mind flayer. After disguising their location, they interrogate Will. Using Morris code, he taps out Close Gate. The house phone rings and Will realizes where he is. The Mind Flayer sends a Demodog to the house, but Eleven arrives and kills it. All right, top moments here. Number one, Demodogs take over Jurassic Park style. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about a lot. This was very Jurassic Park to me in terms of the, the shutdown of the space. Yes, absolutely. Complete with the security cameras and everything. But, oh, man, to, the, to start this episode, picking right off from, again, this amazing cliffhanger to have... 
Owens and Hopper just stand there gawking at those demodogs. <laughs> like, run! What are you doing? Run! Get the get the hell out of there! Why are you just goggling at them? Well, uh, it, you know he they needed Laura Dern there uh, from Jurassic Park going run. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my god! But uh, but yeah, they were. He was like, "You sure that glass is fine?" I think he was still like, "Sure that glass is yeah, fine." Yeah, it's like breaking. But the glass is spider webbing. <laughs> you should not stand there and observe it because it's most likely going to shatter. Nope, it's still good. It's it's protected. And you would think that's the same elevator that took forever to close uh, yeah. in season one. Couldn't <laughs> they have installed elevator. a quicker elevator? You know. <laughs> I guess maybe they didn't know. <laughs> they did hey, last time. But, the, but, the, but they. They, if, if you're in danger, never go in an elevator. <laughs> no. Ever. Every movie, every TV show, they always. Who's the first one to die? The person waiting for the elevator or going in the elevator? <laughs> Don't do it. Um. So yeah, it's a lot of demodogs. They take over. Um, and it's a, a pretty intense, uh, gory uh, scene. Mike, in terms of the scarometer, how are you feeling uh, during during all of this? This was tough. I mean, the only couple of jump scares I saw, I think the one really that got me was the steam pipe in the basement, but oh, I think that was on that purpose. Was... It's it's one of those like jump scares of like, oh, it's a cat walking in front. So yeah. like it, it definitely it, it shows that you're like on edge, but nothing too too bad actually. I mean, I was I'm I was actually benefiting from the fact that usually my TV actually has a pretty dark tint to it. So uh, you know, I, I wasn't able to see too, too much, which will actually come into play when we cut to uh, the junkyard group and Dustin talks about like, oh, yeah, Dart was the one who looked us over and went the other way. You could tell it was him because of the mark on his butt. Like, I did not look, I did not think about that or realize that whatsoever during that scene. I don't know if you guys did. Yeah, he, um, uh, what, that Dart has like a yellow marking on his butt? Well, that I guess is, is is what Dustin alluding to is that like when Steve last episode or two episodes ago opened up the top of the bus as if like he was ready to like come out swinging. This one demodog like looked at them and then just sort of moved on. Are we assuming that start? Was there another moment uh, that I don't remember? No, I, I th- the one that's that's dart and I think it's it's the w- first one that you see in the fight. I'm trying. I'm kind of. There's a lot of them, so maybe I. I but it has like a yellow marking on his back, like right side it's kind of this weird so, yellow mark so they're telling us dart is going to probably save them in the end is that what we're thinking i, I could see a situation where like dart sac like dustin's in trouble dart sacrifices himself against the other demodogs to give du- to get give dustin enough time to get out of there uh referencing jurassic park th- or no, sorry jurassic jurassic world jurassic world is hashtag spoiler alert uh where uh chris pratt's uh raptors come to save him Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I would. Why else call out uh, the 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 um, the marking? And yeah, I think that's a, that's a good theory. That's a good call. It, it would be it, it, this show is so referential. There's no way they don't have some type of dart saving him and then darts redeemed himself or something. And, and, and then Dustin rewards him by giving him another cat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, I love I love that as well. I loved uh, we'll talk about it, but I love Steve just sort of 
like giving away Dustin's attempted lies. Dustin was so good on the lies up to this point with all the adults, but Steve just completely throws him <laughs> under the bus without realizing it yeah, immediately. Blows up his spot. And Max. Blows up his spot ne- uh, big time. That's the next moment here. Number two, Steve's kids crew notices Hawkins has gone dark and uh, Dustin has to admit to keeping Dart to uh, Lucas and Lucas is not is not happy about it. What, what do you say? You that broke the rules. You broke yeah. the code. Well, so who, and also who's so who's more in the wrong here? Because we do get this argument for a good portion of the episode between Dustin and Lucas of Lucas accusing Dustin of being worse because he hit Dart. Dustin accusing Lucas of being worse because he told Max not just like what was going on, but literally everything that happened to them. Which one do you think is in the wrong here? I feel like this party, all they do is break their rules all the time. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, they are kids. Be broken. They are kids. But uh, I I say, I say Dustin because his that those actions put them more in danger than than uh, yeah Lucas. Uh, But we, I get. Of course, we don't know. But we'll. Because Max could be a spy. Yeah, absolutely. Max could be a spy. But I, but (laughs) these guys is for friends. I don't remember fighting with my friends that that much. No, I mean I had we had had arguments, but it's like almost every episode. It's like they're married. I mean, just about (laughs) it nonstop. Well, speaking of Max, I don't think this was a top moment. Do we want to talk a little bit about this, like? Billy scene that we get where we find we finally see the parents and we find out a little bit more about maybe why Billy oh, is you're the right. way I did he not is. put that in there. Um the, yes. So we we've we've kind of picked on Billy for being a bit one dimensional. Does this add enough context to his evilness? To me, I was like, I don't know. I was I was a little indifferent to this scene, to me personally. I mean, I think it's a good question, is like is if the material that you're building out to round out a character is also one dimensional, does it make him still inherently one dimensional? Because I think Max alludes to it in like a little bit, a little line that I think we pontificated upon in our previous podcast. But like you'd have to assume if you're going like the typical Stephen King bully character that he's coming from some sort of home of abuse yeah. or neglect. And it turns out to be that. So it didn't exactly bring him over again i'll say that especially now with only one episode left i do not think billy gets a redeeming moment here i hope we don't we don't necessarily uh see him more but yeah i mean good on them for at least attempting to explain it and not make him so over the top evil but at the same time it's something we've seen before where where are the where are the where the parents all day though i kind of agree with billy (laughs) you know well it shows like they're they're a product of bad parenting but where were they all day and it's like later that night they get home and they you know oh you're smoking your punk guy you know say it you know where he's beating him up and you know smacking him up against yeah. the wall but i i kind of agree with billy all right i watched her for a while but i'm it's I, it's not my kid oh God, see this hair that takes time it takes time to get it this way yeah and it, for, but, he but, spends but, a lot of time to have a hair look that looks like you know a dead poodle that's been set on the side <laughs> of the <hood. laughs> Where, 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 where that's a I, I think a legit question. Where were they all day in this very small town? Well, Mike's working? right. It's very um, like it the that I can't remember the kid's name like and Henry the, Bowers. Yeah, yeah, like his dad is very similar. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it 
I mean, it's cool. I mean, I, I, I get it. it. It adds more context to the story. I thought it, it's almost a bit of a wasted opportunity because I, I, I liked Colleen's theory where it was like, oh, the reason they're there is it's somebody that works at Hawken Lab, like Dr. Paul Reiser, I think was was her theory specifically. But I feel like there was more opportunity for why they came to the town. And now that it's just, you know, an abusive uh, father um, and that's why Max the way he is. Like it's just like it is a little too cliche. Where I think there was an opportunity there to maybe tie it in more to everything, but at the same time, not everything has to tie into everything, and every everything somehow related to. So, so the this whole thing. point of this was just to get Max involved with the group. I could very much see a situation where like Billy gets shipped off to some sort of military school, or God forbid, even killed in the finale, and so Max still hangs around because it seems like of all the new characters. Uh, one is obviously quite out of the picture at the moment, but I feel like Max is definitely the one most in contention to stay around and become a part of the group. Yeah, and in terms of him being killed, I feel like if they were going to kill him, why show the backstory to give you maybe some inkling of caring about why he is the way he is? Um, or maybe you still could, I don't know. But I, I, if they were going to kill him, I would think, why show his abusive father? Because now I want to see him like beat up his father. <laughs> <laughs> He's afraid of his. He's afraid of his father. I know, and he, I mean, eventually, it, the thing with like abusive parents is uh, eventually the kids become stronger than the parents, and unless they've really screwed them up mentally, they will fight back. So, well, the you have the 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 stepmom looked like she was she didn't didn't approve of the father. No, but he might be abusive to her too. She was kind of caring oh, yeah. as well. That could that could be it too. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, number three. I'm sorry, Mike. Bob is a superhero and meets his untimely end. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I felt this all along. I was telling this to Angela, like while I was going on, I'm like, Bob's gonna die. They, they just they did so many of the again. I I enjoyed it, but still some of the cliched things of like go on without me. His last conversation with Hopper, the fact that he left the gun behind, even like the. Like there was too much good stuff happening to that group at that point in time. You know, Bob was able to get into the computer system and like he was functioning like the little kid in Jurassic Park. Yep. He got past Wayne Knight's security system and was able to uh, to override everything. And it seemed like definitely everything was going too well for them that it felt like this was going to be the moment that they tie things up with Bob. And I'm pissed at the show only because like. I don't know. In my opinion, they just built up such a likable character that it would always make it so crushing to see him inevitably go. And it, for this, um, like it, in terms of like losing a character, because not a lot of main characters have died in this show. And again, you can argue that Bob's not, still not even a main character, but well, um, but it does it does add a bit of of weight stakes. Yeah, that, you know, not everybody you know not everybody gets out alive. Um, but, uh, but I would agree it's, it, it was tough. And, you know, once the gun, uh, he left the gun, I t- cause Colin was watching with me. I was just like, oh man, oh, he's gone. Why, why show, why else show that he left the gun behind out of all yeah, the things the, the I, leaving I, the gun I, behind was he's dead. He's toast. I was the same way. Once he left the gun, I said, ah, Bob's toast. And then when he stopped and they're like, Bob, we gotta get, I go, oh, he's dead. Yeah, I, I, I just it was like Mike said. So it was it was kind of cliche all the way through. It's like, you know, if don't show I don't need to see the gun to know that why the guns are ineffective anyway. But maybe they know that Bob's so likable. They need to really prepare us mentally for it that he's going to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't help. It didn't help show. I was still devastated by this. And this will spoiler alert not be like the only emotionally devastating moment of the episode. Damn these Stranger Things seasons and really just 
building their characters out so well that like when they have these really heavy moments, you can really feel it. But yeah, R.I.P. Bob, MVP of the season for me. I just I love the character. I love what Sean Astin did with it. I love that he not only was getting involved with the main gang, but like very game for it surprisingly yeah i do kind of fear what would have happened had he stuck around because it, i don't know how much i would have liked this joyce bob hopper love triangle uh just because again i am not i'm not he, one he i guess did it hopper obviously that's true yeah he wanted just the, the main <laughs> line segment instead of the triangle i i still don't know how i feel about this idea of romance and stranger things in general just so like i i don't know if i would want them to say, okay, oh crap, we have Bob around now. Now we need to complicate things more. You know, I'd rather <laughs> see Bob die a hero than live long enough to become a villain. Yeah. And actually, Agreed. Bob and Hopper had a good, were finally starting to build some chemistry because you have, you have Hopper's like going, well, tell me how to do it. You know, and he goes, I just can't tell you. you know, the can I teach you German while I'm at it and uh, French? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was, it was actually a great scene between Bob and Hopper where we hadn't really had that too much interaction so then i go okay bob's toast well like why i mean i i guess you can understand that hopper might want to like look after the main group because he's the one that's most proficient with firearms but like here's an idea why don't they both go down together right because yeah, hopper's I, I, willing to go I, down there first and then they're like oh you don't know the computer and then oh bob knows computer but he's gonna go down alone like that would have been another great need, way to sort of you need go hopper ahead. To, to run and carry will Oh, uh, I guess that's true. Uh, Dr. Owens could have taken one for the team. But Owens was staying behind to watch the security cameras. I don't know. Put him on a gurney or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a good call. But uh, RIP, Bob, uh, you, are, you are the superhero. Um, yeah. Again, again I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. Yeah. Jack's, Jack's you know, kind of sorry. Um uh, number four, the shadow monster is named the Mind Flayer. So we were thinking Thessal Hydra, no Mind Flayer. Um, uh, Mike, you are the more uh, astute D&D player. Are you familiar with the Mind Flayer? I am not, actually. And Angela actually asked the same question to me. Yeah, the Mind Flayer is not something that I've encountered, at least. But, it, I mean, it seems definitely a step up from the Demogorgon seems like more of a feral creature, the mind flare definitely seems like a creature that could sit in the behind the scenes and control everything that's going on, quite literally, including demogorgons in this case. So, you know, it, it's much like uh, when you watch animes like Digimon, when they're like, oh, you beat this boss. But wait, there was one above him that was controlling things the entire time to keep, you know, heightening up those stakes. That definitely feels like an example here where, you know, this is a creature that takes over other creatures brains using its psionic powers. Uh, but it has real weight here in the fact that we mentioned it before. I mean, it seems like it definitely has full control of Will at this point, to the point of where they're like essentially making him speak yeah. uh, for him, using him as the puppet. And so that's going to be, I'm assuming, a very pivotal part of the next episode is trying to essentially get Will out or, or get the, the mind flare out of Will. But yeah, I, I think now things are finally starting to come together. Yeah. Um, number five, uh, try to find out the mind flayer's weakness from Will. Um, so they kind of black out the shed. Um, and, uh, during that time as they're doing it, they have kind of the new pair ups kind of scene that was in episode seven of last uh, season, uh, where you kind of had, um, uh, uh, on the names now we, we had a uh, last time we had we had a uh, hopper and jonathan 
We had uh, Eleven and Joyce. Yeah. We had uh, Lucas and Dustin. And then we had Mike and Nancy. Because that was when everyone came back together. And actually, very similar here. You know, you have the Junkyard gang happens to stumble upon Hawkins because they see they're all blacked out at the same time as Nancy and Jonathan pull up. I think they were probably hoping to, like, break the big news story to Hawkins to sort of hold it over their heads. They find it's all blacked out. So they're coming back together. But yeah, like Jay asked, how do you think these scenes compare between seasons? Um, I I thought they were good again. It didn't it didn't to me have the same impact that uh, season one had. Um, but again, I I, I, I like the echoed uh, experience. Um, but it, it just like an echo, it isn't as uh, effective or loud as the first time it happened. I think that's I, my feeling. I did have a question. Why did they Why did they go back to the buyer's house? Yeah, why? Why not go to Hopper's cabin? Uh, I mean, you know, Hopper did not tell them about the cabin because he's Hopper. <laughs> he still thinks for some reason that keeping secrets is okay. It's but gonna be it, real fun when Eleven walks through the door and he's gonna be like, "Hey, Hopper, I had to leave the cabin that you were holding me up in for an entire year," and everyone just sort of looks at him like, "Oh, dude, Mike, what the hell is wrong with you?" Mike, Mike's gonna be ticked. You know that. Not you, Mike. Oh yeah, but Mike on the show. Well, speaking of, speaking of speaking of ticked Mike as well, oh man, we we had good Mike for a couple of episodes, yeah. but as soon as we get him back with Mac, he turns into angry emo Mike all over again. Yeah. And I don't know, Mike and Hopper are like the two in contention for me for LVP of this season so far. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I uh, the that was a pair up that was. It's just like it's I I'm kind of like Max is fine. I think Max is a perfectly good person. I get why Mike's all whatever and emo. Um, and at the end of this, end of this episode, his hopefully his em- emo ness ends for a, a bit. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, trying to find out the information from Will, uh, you know, Jonathan, uh, Joyce, and Mike share these really nice memories uh, with Will, which kind of lets him use Morse code to kind of communicate. Um, but I I like this scene. I thought it was uh, really emotional had good emotional weight to it. Um, and again, can we just say just fantastic acting uh, mm-hmm. by the actor who plays Will. I mean, just like just being able to kind of the, the changes in his face and everything. It was, just, it was fantastic. Really good. And I'm really happy for this moment for a variety of reasons. One, again, it goes back to this emotional center that has sort of come about and building out these characters and us getting to know them. But I do feel like Winona Ryder hasn't been given much to do, possibly because like she hasn't been able to fret that much as opposed to the first season. But man, she knocked it out of the park with that initial monologue yeah. uh, about, you know, getting the box of crayons for Will. And then you have Jonathan come in on top of it. And then Mike with that like single tear rolling down his cheek. Yeah. yeah so emotionally powerful. Then I love time back into that when they say, okay, this is what we're going to do cut to montage with should I stay or should I go yeah. playing? And now they're set up this entire system of like Will's tapping on the chair. You know, they transcribe the dots and dashes to the main house where they are able to figure it out. A very simple phrase, close gate. I don't know how long they were talking to him to get that phrase out of him, but uh, it was a good team effort. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really sweet. Um, and, uh, and you're right. That it was a fantastic model by Winona Ryder. Uh, definitely uh, her Emmy submission, I would think, um, <laughs> uh, for sure. But I, Barb needs it. Uh, they actually need to play as Barb needs to get an Emmy first, and then, then Winona Ryder. 
what is it first? So first we've got Barb. Now we've got Bob. I don't know if like Beeb comes in next season. Like, look out, Beeb or Bib. Does Bob get an Emmy nom? I don't know. I, I could see Sean Astin get like a guest actor. I mean, I don't know. It depends on. I feel like the Academy does one of two things with series that like go on to a second season that are critically acclaimed. Either they don't get acknowledged whatsoever, like Mr. Robot, or it becomes like a modern family thing and they get nominated every year. But I could see a situation where Sean Astin gets nominated for a, uh, a supporting guest actor. I don't know what the uh, what the reception has been to him overall, but that would be my wish, just because I thought he was so good in this season. Yep, agreed. Agreed. Um, so yeah, we uh, will use his Morris code to tell him to close gate. Uh, so we assume the the original gate that Eleven opened up that's now turned into this huge gaping uh, uh, rip um, that goes down uh, even well below uh, the Hawkins Foundation, um, which that's going to be tough. I know Eleven kind of boosted uh, her powers, but I don't know if she can close the gates. Uh, maybe they could blow it up. Um, uh, if it's Ghostbusters, uh, cross the streams to... Uh, uh, blow it out from the inside. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't know how we would close the gate. How would you do it without killing Will as well, right? Because that, that was too, a big yeah. problem when they were trying to burn the vines and burn up the tunnels. That's what caused Will to really uh, deteriorate even further. How are this is again the big balance? How are you able to get rid of this big evil that is now completely tied into your son, into this character? I mean. This is going to be me sounding callous. Maybe it's just me trying to like feel empty to the world after Bob's death. <laughs> Kill Will. Woo. You think it's <laughs> you think Will well, needs do, to be the next victim? Do they do they do they do that knowing that Will cannot be saved? I, I, that's what I, I mean. That would be intense, even for Stranger Things. So I I don't know if they'd be able to do that, but like I I think it would make sense. I mean. Even if they get past this, this kid is still like the one tie that is really had to the upside down. Who knows what's out there besides the mind flare that would be able to use Will again? I know it would be heart rendering for the buyer's family, but at the same time, he looks to be in so much pain. And he's almost a lost cause at this point. I know I'm totally buying into like probably what the careers are trying to build into us of like there's no hope left and now Eleven's here and she'll assist, but. I don't know. The, the cons of keeping Will seem to outweigh the pros at this point, as bad as that is to say. Ooh, ooh that's, uh, that's, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm glad I didn't have to say it, though. So that's on you, Mike, if Will dies. <laughs> His blood is on your hands. Fine. Uh, justice for Bob. <laughs> now I can do it. I was going to say, I don't, I, I don't feel so bad about Bob now that, you know. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Bob. Um <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, the kids. <laughs> letting Mind Flayer know where they are. Um, hey, I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna go to this town and open up a phone shop. Ready, <laughs> I was phone. gonna say it's the damn Joyce shouldn't have gotten that damn phone. That's what did her in. <laughs> um, yes, that, but again, the poor whatever phone goes there, it's just it's gonna. Uh, uh, Nancy uh, takes the the uh, you know the mantle of destroying the phone in this episode, um, and then so these demon dogs are coming. Can we just talk about how? Uh, you know, you have Hopper with the machine gun that he takes uh-huh. so long to shoot. Then you got like the what the what two steps above a BB gun that uh, Nancy picks up. Then you got you got Steve with his bat, and then yes. you see in the corner, uh, Mike uh, has some little chalice or something. Yeah, what the hell was he doing? 
Oh, I'm going to hit it on the head with a trophy. Like, Mike, oh, come on, man. Like, you, I, I appreciate you trying to, like, weaponize yourself as opposed to the others that are kind of just, like, clinging to each other right now. But, oh, man, it's such a badass moment as well from Hopper being like, hey, Jonathan, you know how to shoot this gun? And Nancy's like, nope, I do. And she yeah. just co- tosses the gun to her. Yeah. I know it was jo- in the preview, but, like, to see that moment actually happen in context was awesome. Yeah. Jo- Jonathan's like, okay. <laughs> I can take a picture of it. Again, I know, I know, Bob was your character <laughs> <laughs> this season, uh, but for me, Steve, I think is is just my my character this season. Um, and I, I just love he's there with his bat, ready to go. Like I, you know, I think he's the most effective here at, at beating up these demodogs slash demogorgons. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting going back to like the D and D metaphor. You know, it definitely seems like he's the fighter of the group. I don't know how tanky his HP is, but he definitely seems like the person who, rather than sort of like coming at it with ranged attacks, he's just going to come right up to these things and start trying to bash their heads in, even if it means putting his life at risk. Well, he's not he's not a very good fighter, but he can take a punch, as we've seen in last season. Oh, that's when so Jonathan many punches. <laughs> we didn't talk about how Nancy and Steve actually talked for a little bit. Yeah, again, that was kind yeah. of in that new that pair up scene. That was kind of that was kind of awkward, wasn't it? Just uh, oh yeah, really so. awkward reconciliation there. Well, because so. they they left, they left things on a weird note too, right? Because I'm pretty sure, like what the last time that they talked was Nancy saying like, "Hey, I was drunk that night. P.S. Yeah. I can't tell you that I love you right now." And that was what's I guess sort of inspired Nancy to go on this multiple day road trip with Jonathan. So that's like the <laughs> last. And there was a really fun moment before as well, where you know the two groups meet up outside Hawkins lab and you just hear Nancy and Jonathan both go, Steve, like here's a random group of kids. Why is Steve with them? Oh man. Um, Steve's a hero. Now we, we uh, hear these seven dogs coming and then there's some whimpering and then the dog gets thrown through the window and 11 unlocks the door and comes in. Um, and, uh, just, I had tears welling in the eyes as, as Mike and Eleven see each other. Um, and then that's it. Close to the episode. Uh, so, so thoughts here, gentlemen, on, uh, chapter eight. Is it like the ending? Is like the ending of of Greece when Sandy like dresses out of her goody, goody wardrobe and becomes like, tell me about it. Sandy! Sandy! (laughs) Eleven! (laughs) They all start dancing at the carnival. Uh, um, but if, if we're talking about reunions and and you know the, the coming back to the group, I and it it, it kind of ends pretty quick, so we didn't really get to see much of that reunion. But I it to me it had a, a, a big emotional weight to it, uh, gentlemen. Did it did it have the same for you? I would say so. I mean, I'm still trying to mull over. Whether or not having eleven in this season was a good thing. Again, that's like a super hot take on my part, and we have yet to see exactly. She's gonna definitely get involved with the main action in the final episode, but she seems so separate from everything else up until this very moment. Part of me wondered, like, was it worth bringing her back if to have her so at an arm's length from the main action only until this moment? You know. I, I can see that just because, you know, she has been so separated from everything else. But, like, I, you almost need her because she's the only thing powerful enough to actually counter yeah. the, you know, crazy things that are going on, right? 
Like, because mm, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I can't stop these things. You you almost need her to still be around if they're going to even have its chance at, at at beating this thing. Well, her and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream team. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. She, she goes, oh, 11 goes to Steve. And Mike just goes. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree, though. I feel like I, I want to put a pin in that question. And I want to wait until we get through the finale okay. next week to see exactly what 11 is going to do. Because I did see uh, a couple of articles and again, trying to put the blinders up. But I did see a couple of articles or some people say like, hey, hot take about this season. Uh, I don't think Eleven needed to be in it. And I don't know if I agree at this point, but it definitely got the gears in my head turning a bit of. You know, with Eleven so separated from everything for so many episodes, was it worth it to maybe not necessarily bring her in for this season, but do so many check-ins with her over the course of the past seven episodes as well? Like, what do you think? Make me almost like not even have her story barely at all. Like, don't even have the Hopper Eleven stuff, and just kind of have her show up in this episode to save the day. Yeah, I wonder how interesting because we talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast, like right, like what would the impact be? if Eleven just showed up instead of having the standalone episode, what do we think the impact would be if we assume that Eleven's dead and nothing gets spoiled and then we just see her walk in in the penultimate episode dressed like she's from The Matrix? Like, that would be a huge shocker. I don't know if it would be, uh, if it would, like, outweigh the benefits of the stuff we got to see from Eleven. You know, we got to hear a lot more about the Terry Ives stuff, get some more character development from her, build out a nice parental relationship with Hopper, but... It's something to think about, just an alternate way of like how Eleven could have been involved in this season. I you gotta have, Mike's got to have somebody to hate, so he's going to have to hate Hopper for, for keeping. <laughs> I, I have no problem with the way they had her in this season. I I, I don't either, but I I kind of I'm I'm feeling Mike's vibe here on this because I I think it it would have had much more impact, especially as us as viewers, if we assumed Eleven did die, right? Because uh, if if we watched the trailers. Um, and and I did at Comic Con, and you see Eleven like, oh my God, Eleven, she survived! Like that moment happened in the trailer. Um, but would it have had more weight if you really didn't see her show up until this moment in the show? Um, and then would you they- find out kind of the backstory uh, in season three. Um, could it have had more weight? And I, you know, I you, you, there's probably pros and cons to either side, but I, yeah. I think it's an interesting thought to go through, thought process to go through. Could, could they have kept it a secret? I mean, that's the big thing, too, True. right? And that, and that's happened with, uh, spoiler alert, for the Kingsman franchise. Yeah. But I believe in, like, the new movie. Like, didn't, I believe, like, Colin Firth's character died in the first movie. But they made no bones about, like, saying, yeah, he's coming back for the second movie. Oh, yeah, he's in and the I feel like, yeah. And I feel like the problem was that Eleven was such a fan-favorite character from the first season that it's really hard. I feel like the producers were just very tempted to say, yeah, let, let's bring her back in any capacity. And then they sort of realized, like, Okay, how do we bring her back? Because there are such ramifications to doing that, considering like what everyone knew about her and her disappearing. So if they were able to somehow keep it under wraps, that would have been an incredible cameo. And like you said, Jay, maybe then they use the season three premiere to just like say, here's to put all the the, the eleven scenes and the standalone episode into one episode and say this is everything that happened with 11 like you said there are benefits and drawbacks to each of these but i thought it would have been maybe if we're going back to uh even outside of machete order if you're doing like chronologically lost like totally taking things and putting them in other places maybe that would be an interesting cut to just sort of remove 11 entirely from season two except for this one cameo and see what happens yep agreed 
Uh, Jack, any other final thoughts here for this episode? Like I said, if you could have if you could have kept it a secret, and she pops up at the end, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But odds are, it would have gotten out, and it's it, then the whole surprise was ruined. So I, I I see both sides, but I don't know. It, like I said, back you know, if you back you know before the internet, you could probably do that. But now nowadays, people are out there just trying to find every spoiler they can on every show. You have podcasts and all that different stuff. It would have gotten out that she was that she was still going to be part of the season. Oh yeah, you you know they would have done what they did with Jon Snow of like following Millie Bobby Brown around, being like, oh she cut her hair. What does that mean? <laughs> right. I mean, there just there's just no way around. There's just no way around it anymore. Yeah. So, yep. All right. Uh, well, that's what we thought about this episode. We do have some listener feedback, so let's go to some listener feedback. All right, we got a couple emails here. Uh, first up, this is Andrew from Minneapolis. Uh, hey, guys, it's Andrew from Minneapolis. First, I love the podcast and think the three of you do a great job. Uh, right. My comment is regarding Episode 7. I have seen that it has received poor reviews, but for me, it was one of my favorite episodes. I think it opened the door uh, into the mysteries of the people who were held in the lab and set up a future season storylines to branch out further than just Hawkins. I really love the scenes between Jane 11 and Callie 8 reuniting. It brought a tear to my eye thinking about the horrors that these children must have gone through and to finally meet someone who can understand what the other has went through was touching. Also love the final song by Icicle Works, Whisper to a Scream. So uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do think that one of the things that is interesting about that standalone episode is that I feel like it was important in knowing that Stranger Things is going to be like a four to five season show, at least just for this sort of yep. If we're talking about like D&D campaigns, this campaign is going to last about four to five seasons because I think one thing I'm personally nervous about, I love the show, but I don't want it to get stale. And my fear is that if we're going to keep staying in Hawkins for the next three seasons, that it might have a chance of going stale. You can only go so many places for so long. So possibly this idea of like doing, you know, Stranger Things world tour, almost branching out to some of these other cities, seeing Pittsburgh, seeing Chicago, doing new takes on that might be a good way to sort of keep those creative juices flowing. So nobody feels particularly stymied. Well, they have to be careful not to let it turn into like a, a CBS, uh, NCIS, uh, yes. uh, New Orleans, <laughs> Stranger CSI Things, Miami. Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be bad. <laughs> But no, I and, and again, that's why I still appreciate episode seven for all, all of the reasons that Andrew pointed out here uh, in his email. Because um, I, I think there is a lot of relevant things that happen. It's just it's a really tough place to have that episode. I think that's that's the tough part. I think you know, especially if this show was a um, uh, you know every week release, uh, it's really hard to follow up uh, if you're going to set up a cliffhanger. You better have the you know answer what, that cliffhanger what, in the next episode. If, Otherwise, people they, are going to be ticked. What if they started the season with this? If number seven was the first episode. Eh. So what would it be like a, a media res type of thing where they'll show this and then they'll flash back to what happened in Hawkins that led eleven up to that point? I guess because well they start the this season one starts with us seeing eight and the yeah. gang and her her mean gang there. Um, I don't know. I just I, like I, think I said. That I, place, I, I think that placement's fine. I for me, I think my final call is going to be just flip it, flip seven and eight. But to, to Mike's point, we don't know how episode nine is going to go, so maybe not. But as it stands right now, I think just flip it. I think 
you just go straight into episode eight, and then you you follow up with an eleven uh, bottle episode chaser. To Jack's point, though, because we didn't talk about the very first time we saw Callie, does that how does that compare now? Like, if you're rewatching the season and now you're watching this very first sort of cold open, where at the time we're like, who the hell are these people? Oh, I guess this girl has an eight tattoo. Does that make it a little more palatable, knowing that we're going to see this person later on and she's going to have a demonstrative tie to Eleven? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. In terms of uh, universe expanding and the character, I, I think I'm, I'm fine with all of it. I think it's just following up the finale is tough. And you, you weren't gonna, you're, you're just going to have people ticked off no matter... No, I'm sorry, not finale. Just following up that cliffhanger. You're going to have people ticked off no matter what you did if you went from that to just a completely different storyline with new people that you aren't invested in after, you know, at that point. So eight episodes plus six um, of following these other characters. And now you're throwing us into this after such a um, moment of, of like, you know, apexing cl- uh, climax cliffhanger um, to then have that. I think you're just, I think it, them, them as writers and definitely as fans of everything had to have known this was going to be the response, and maybe they were okay with that. Are people that upset, though? I mean, I, I've, I personally have stayed away from as much as I can because I don't want to get spoiled for the final episode. But are people that outraged over the uh, seventh episode? Yeah, I mean, from what I saw, people were really pissed about it. But now I feel like it's also Internet culture nowadays to be like, you thought this was bad, but actually it was good, and, and the other way around, too. It's definitely the case of, like, you thought this movie was a classic? Well, actually, here's everything wrong with it. Not to sort of, like, belittle the fact that some of those older pieces of pop culture definitely do have problems with it, especially by modern-day standards. But that sort of seems to be the thing as of late, where, again, I try to ignore it for the most part, but it seemed like there was a huge deluge of oh, I hated this episode, worst episode of season two, worst episode of Stranger Things ever. But then I've seen a couple of people peek out by saying, hey, it wasn't that bad, and here's a reason why it was good. So I feel like we all came out like somewhere in the middle, generally, between those two sort of poles of opinions. Yeah. and, and I, mean, you know, I, I, mean, I mean, Andrew made a case for it not being that bad, so... Uh, so there Back you go. It's uh, his favorite episode. No, for me, like I, I, I kind of use Colleen as my filter. She was like, "No, this is like the whatever." But I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, you know, I get it from her, and she's able to filter out any spoilers. Again, there's only one episode left, so it's not. But there's still a lot of spoiler spoiling left to happen. Um, but she's she's able to kind of filter that for me. But um, Andrew, thank you for the email. Thank you for that perspective. And uh, I think you know this is one of those things where it'll have to be judged. Uh, you know, a season from now or two seasons from now or when it's all said and done, um, the impact of, of episode seven. Um, whereas, you know, we can look at Across the Sea on Lost and I think you could still probably argue it's, it's, it's not too great. It's weird. It's weirdly placed. Um, it's, and it's a weird place to bring in these characters that for some reason have such an importance to the show uh, versus another episode of Lost that a lot of people hated at the time, the Nikki and Paolo expose episode. And I think it actually kind of got better with age uh, and, and mm-hmm. was really good in a tongue-in-cheek standpoint uh, to the fans and everything like that. So I, it, it'd be interesting to see how this episode's perceived you know, at, when it's all said and done for the entire series. Well, I think the difference between Lost and, and Stranger Things, Lost had 116 episodes, I think. Stranger Things had, what, 14 yeah, we, 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 yeah we've, t- we've talked a lot about how the, the differentiation in the pace where some in, on regular TV, some plot points might take 
episodes to drag out. You know, the the uh, the Terry Ives muttering to herself stuff got resolved in the same episode, which I feel like is very atypical. Uh, it only happens on you know a very short order binge all at once type of Netflix series. So the, it's really interesting, especially in this day and age, to sort of compare how that type of series is structured against your loss. Or even, you know, we covered Westworld and are going to be covering Westworld, but Westworld has sort of been dubbed the new Lost as well in terms of like holding people's attentions week to week and trying to keep those storylines moving along as opposed to something like this, which plays much more like an, uh, a nine-hour movie than anything. Yeah. Well, that's, that's I think, guess what people are having problems with. The, the story was going, going, going. What you're doing? You, you threw a wrench into the middle of the story. So, yeah. But I, I literally had really not that many problems with it. Because I said again, I just watched the next one, so it wasn't that big a deal. Um. All right. And last email here, uh, Jay, Jack, and Mike. First, thanks for the enjoyable podcast. A few random notes. Uh, I had a feeling Bob was not long for the series. I know Sean, uh, both Sean Aston and Paul Reiser were listed as with the cast versus being part of the permanent cast. And for some reason, I particularly noted it was uh, the last uh, two episodes started. The writers seem to be careful to keep the permanent actors alive. Hopper, for example, are fine with a little gore for the temps. And was Muse <laughs> ever on the list of cast members? Um, it's a good thing Eleven did not know Bob. Otherwise, she would have to feel guilty about arriving just a little too late to save him. Uh, they did a, did uh, do a good job showing the differences in height and age between the young eight and 11. And I assume it was on purpose that 11 seems to be a lot, uh, seems a lot more mature, both physically and mentally since the start of stranger things too. Um, and then there's max and Billy. I thought, uh, there was a, a phrase, uh, she used in episode six, alluding to abuse from a stepdad. And that was obviously confirmed in these episodes. Uh, when I first caught it in episode six, I felt it went a long way explaining it, uh, or at least giving possible explanation for her and Billy. Billy may be redeemable now. His attitude in life uh, is defined by years of abuse from his dad. By showing this, it becomes more plausible that there's ultimately good in him that could break through in the last episode. Ugh, I hope that's not the case. Um, and for Max, I think this <laughs> provides an ex- explanation for why she is to blame and why she sought out being part of the gang. She could be to blame for the move because she told someone, school counselor maybe, that about the abuse, and so Dad decided they had to move. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's I also like that. uh, why Great Billy theory. wants her to form, not to form friendships and confidences, but even though she started out as a seemingly confident loner, she was, in fact, in need of friends and with uh, people with whom she could feel safe. Okay, the safe part not worked out too well. And if not safe, at least part of a group that looks out for each other. I do think we'll see Eight and Terry next season, but do not think they are needed for the last episode. We shall see Joe Am. Uh, Joanne, kudos on uh, making Max and Billy seem more uh, than one-dimensional here in your email. Yeah, or or at least like servicing the plot in some sort of way. And I do like this idea that like again, we were asking last time if this is the case. Why was Max? Why did Billy say to Max, "It's your fault that we're here"? And this could be a very legitimate reason why. Though you would also question that California school system. That if that's the case, they didn't report them to the police and say, "Hey, go arrest this guy because he's abusing the children." That's it's true. the it was the eighties. I mean, having gone to the Cal- in the California school system, it's not the most uh, efficient or well-run uh, organization. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it definitely would have probably... But it, something could have happened, maybe. Maybe it was with family. But, but uh, I do like how, school. Like, I, how she says about the uh, not be, be making friends because maybe she spilled the beans before. I mean, it's actually a great theory. Yeah, I, I like this idea of, like, her seeking safety and the fact that she was so guarded at first, but was able to like slowly let her walls down and realize that she does need someone to make her feel safe because her home life 
obviously does not provide that. In theory, you would think that like an older sibling would help with that, but Billy is sort of a lost cause. I agree with you, Jay. I, I do not think we're getting a Billy redemption story in episode nine. If we are, they're going to have to really pull it off for me to like it. Yeah, okay. Billy saves the day. Oh no! Yeah, and then and then and then Billy goes works at the local Radio Shack. Oh my God, he becomes <laughs> Billy Bob. <laughs> he has the hair for a Billy Bob. There you go. Um, all right, uh, that will do it uh, for this week's episode. Next week we're going to be doing uh, Chapter Nine and the Beyond Stranger Things. I think there's six of them, from what I understand. Um, so we'll be talking about the last episode of season two, as well as kind of the post. Uh, show content um, that Netflix has provided. So we'll be talking about that for our season finale of uh, Stranger Things with Mike, Jack, and Jay, Um, uh, which will be a lot of fun to talk about. And then uh, we'll go into our Christmas break. And maybe then Westworld will be back in the spring. I don't know. That's how I'm assuming it, maybe. Yeah, that's what I hear. HBO has been hyping the crap out of it, uh, especially after the Emmys. So here's hoping... Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll find some other random thing to cover in the time between then. I also think uh, if people, I know there's been a lot of like postseason Stranger Things stuff that's out there as well that I don't think any of us have really checked out for fear of spoilers. But I feel like if people want us to read some articles or look things over and maybe talk about them on the podcast, maybe we can sort of use this as just a general sort of calling for any postseason material that you feel like it would be interesting for us to read with us having known what happens in the season now. Yep, agreed. And if you would like us to, uh, feel free to send us that feedback or what you maybe like us to cover at Stranger Things uh, JJM at gmail.com. It's going to Stranger Things JJM at gmail.com. You can also give us a call at 385 309 0311. Call any time. All right. That's. Uh, oh, I didn't think people like show possible. Our patrons, uh, especially Tech from Tokyo, Eckhart Richter, Molly the Millennial, and Ed the Letter Carrier. Um, you can find all of our podcasts on janejack.com or go to janejack.com slash iTunes for all of our uh, podcasts on the iTunes podcast app. And if you like what we do, give us a review. A five-star review really helps out the show, helps out all of our shows um, in the ranking in the iTunes world. Uh, Mike, you do a lot of amazing things, especially uh, with the Survivor season going on. And where can people find that stuff? Uh, Survivor exit interviews for Parade, a Survivor weekly podcast on RHAP, uh, post-show recaps SNL. I do The Hamster Factor with AJ Mass. Check it all out on at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. And happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully uh, everybody has a safe and, and fun and fantastic Thanksgiving. And uh, hopefully we all gorge ourselves. And if you're participating in the Black Friday, uh, as well as Cyber Monday, and you're using Amazon, use our link, janejack.com slash Amazon. A small percentage of those sales go to the Jane Jack production fold. All right, that will do it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Hasta luego, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.